Hi everyone, my name is Jason. I'm one of the student ministers here at Grace Point. Uh, I've been away at the World Church for a few weeks, and so it's good for me to be back. Uh, let us hear from God's Word today. Um, before we begin, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us the great gift of Christ. And compared to all that we can bank on, all that we put our confidence in, Christ is the greatest gain. This morning, as we hear from your word, this magnificent declaration of knowing Christ, help us to see our sinful tendencies so clearly and help us to behold the glory of Christ. Help us to love him and live for him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At our men's CG on Friday, we asked this question to get to know one another better. Who is your favorite artist? Someone said BTS, someone said Kanye West, someone said IU. Now, I won't say who said who, right? And since Taylor Swift is all the craze around here these days, uh, I wonder how much you would pay to go to a concert. Now, not just any concert, but the concert of your favorite artist. Maybe $200, $500, $1,000 maybe? The price that we are willing to pay reveals how much we love their music, how much we want to see them perform. You see, the more you love something or someone, the more you're willing to pay, the more you're willing to lose your money for. And if you're willing to lose everything for someone, it shows that you really love them and they are a great treasure to you. In our passage today, we see a similar declaration. Paul had everything, and he is willing to lose everything. Why? Because Christ is his greatest treasure. As we look at Philippians 3, today's sermon will have three points. Confidence in the flesh, count all things as loss, and Christ is gain. And I hope and pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you of this truth, that Christ is your greatest gain. Christ is your greatest gain. We're now at point one, confidence in the flesh. Now come with me to verse one. After chapter two, Paul changes his subject. We're at an entirely new section. Now let's read verse one. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. And we'll pause here for now. As Paul begins his new subject, he gives some commands. In verse 1, Paul firstly commands them to rejoice in the Lord. And this is something Paul says again and again. But what I want us to look out for is verse 2. Paul is introducing some enemies to the gospel. And you'll see Paul is telling them to watch out for three kinds of people. But the command to watch out isn't actually a single command. There are actually three commands. Watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those evildoers. Watch out for those mutilators of the flesh. It's like when your GPS tells you to turn right. There's an alert at 500 meters, there's another one at 200 meters, and there's a final one at the destination. What Paul wants to, wants to stress here 
is that these people are so dangerous, you have to watch out three times. Uh, But they are not three different groups of people. They are the same people, the same group. And Paul is referring to the circumcision group. These are the Jews who have become Christians on paper, but they want all the Christians to keep the Jewish practice of circumcision in order to fulfill the old Jewish law. But we might wonder, why is circumcision so dangerous that Paul has to warn them three times? We get more clues in verse 3. Come down to verse 3 with me. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. What we see is that in contrast to Christians who are the true circumcision, who boast in Jesus, these people have put their confidence in the flesh. Their mistake was to emphasize the outward sign but neglect the inward heart. You see, in the Old Testament, physical circumcision is meant to symbolize deep removal of sin from the heart. That's why Paul says Christians are the true circumcision because it's something only God can do by His Spirit. And it's something done in the heart, not on the flesh. And so to boast in circumcision, to boast in being a true Jew is to downplay the gospel and the work of Christ. But to confront these guys even more, Paul goes on to say, He is the true Jew. Come down to verse 4 with me, verse 4. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Wow, this is so impressive. Paul is the top dog. If Paul was here today, he would be on the honor roll of your uni. He will be the one at your company, getting promoted every year, retire early, now traveling the world. Or Paul would be the top parent, having the perfect child, tops their school every year, wins in every sport, and finish eighth grade piano by year six. He has every reason to boast, every reason to put confidence in the flesh. But still, he warns against this three times. Why would he insist on this? So let me step aside and comment on three things from Paul's list, Paul's resume. Firstly, we can put confidence in the flesh by being proud of our heritage and ancestry. For the Jews, this was quite straightforward. They were God's chosen people. God gave them the law, and they were meant to be set apart. In our day, we might not boast in our ancestry or heritage, but we might do something similar. We might take pride in the fact that we are self-made men and women. We are hardworking. We might pride ourselves on the achievements that we have accomplished. Look at how many tutoring centers there are, how much emphasis we put on sending our kids to the right schools, getting into the right degrees at uni getting that internship, that new job. We might pride ourselves on our hard work, being that self-made man or woman. But the danger of this is that it might reveal an inward reliance, 
a sense of entitlement. I'm here because I made it here. We might believe in a subtle lie that God is not in the picture. And we don't acknowledge Him. We don't acknowledge it is God who gives us the intellect. God who enabled us to succeed. God in His good providence blessed us with skills. And so, being self-made and hard-working is not the problem. It's being proud of it. Being full of yourself and not acknowledging God. Self-made entitlement. That's one tendency we might have. Secondly, we can put our confidence in the flesh by faultless law-keeping. For the Jews, it would have been legalism, keeping the Sabbath over justice and mercy, cleaning their cups but not their hearts. And for us, we might boast in the fact that we haven't done much wrong. Compared to the guy down the road, I'm a model citizen. But we might believe in the subtle lie that I can keep every rule, that I am a good person. But the truth of the matter is, no matter how moral we think we've been, in God's sight, we are still sinners. And we have sinned more than we can count in public and in private. The psalmist said, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? So keeping the law and being moral is not the problem, but boasting in it, boasting in your moral living is. Selfish law-keeping. That's another tendency we might have. Thirdly, we can put our confidence in the flesh by our self-serving zeal. For Paul, he was so zealous, he was persecuting Christians. He thought he was doing the Lord's work. But the reality is, as a Pharisee, their zeal was for their selfish gain. They wanted to protect their position. They didn't want to lose out on their status. And ultimately, their zeal was for their self-promotion and self-preservation. Now for us, we might also be zealous for God, for recognition and esteem. We want to be seen as mature, active in church. But we might believe in the subtle lie that God looks at our service. No, God looks at the heart. Martha was distracted by all the preparations she had to make, but Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Mary has chosen what is better, her Lord and not her labors. And so zeal for God's work is not the problem, but self-serving zeal is. Self-serving zeal. That's another tendency we might have. And our passage goes on to talk about how we can deal with these heart attitudes. Let's hear how Paul addresses his resume. We now point to count all things as loss. Come down with me to verse 7. As Paul lists all his achievements, what does he say now? Verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And we'll pause here. This is a complete turnaround. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
All the things he has just listed, they used to be his boast. They used to be his treasures. But now he considers them loss for the sake of Christ. They used to be profit, now they are loss. Used to be credit, now they are debit. They used to be advantage, now they are damage. You see, when the blinding light from heaven appeared on the Damascus road, when the thundering voice of the risen Lord Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? All of Paul's self-delusion came shattering down. He was zealous for God. He thought he was serving God. But he didn't realize his zeal had made him become the Lord's enemy. All the religious credentials he has tried so hard to attain, they are worse than worthless. They are garbage. In fact, the word here is worse than garbage. It is dung. It is filthy scraps. And so, the religious resume that he once rested his confidence in, the sweet aroma of service and zeal, actually smells horrid and repulsive. The consecrated offering is actually defiling and profane. All his previous credentials are now worthless for a reason. Notice what he says in verse 7. This is the reason. I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. I was recently at the World Church for a few weeks, and I had lunch with them most weeks, and they had a lot of young families, and so a lot of young kids. During lunchtime, we would all be eating, and the children would be getting fed by their parents. A bit of chicken, a bit of pad thai. But what most captivated the children's attention was watching YouTube on their parents' phones. The Wiggles, Blippy, Bluey. And no matter how tasty the food was, once they started watching YouTube, their eyes were glued to the screens. This is what happens when you are captivated by something greater, by someone greater. When you encounter your greatest treasure in life, we would gladly lose everything to have it. You would lose sleep to study for an entry exam. You would lose a few grand to buy that new, newest item. You would lose your flexibility and freedom to commit to a mortgage. And for Paul, he did lose everything. He lost his status. He was no longer a Pharisee. He lost his safety. He's persecuted in danger for the sake of the gospel. He lost his community. All his past friends are now against him. And this morning, you might be sitting here hearing the story of this fellow Paul for the first time. And you might be wondering, is it worth it? Is it worth him losing everything he had? Or you might have been wondering, why are all these Christians sacrificing their Sundays every Sunday? Why are they willing to lose their freedom to have fun, to have to stick to old archaic social rules, to lose their money to church, to be ridiculed and sidelined in society? Is it worth it to become a Christian? This is what Paul says. Everything he considered gain is worthless compared to the infinitely more valuable treasure of Christ. 
When we read this passage, can we say that Paul found his treasure? Or should we say the treasure found him? The Christ whom he had hated and persecuted has found him and called him his own. And in response, Paul now gladly loses all things for Christ. This is what Jesus himself said. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Is it worth it? If you're sitting here today and you're not sure whether it's worth it, and you're not sure whether you have found your greatest treasure, may I say to you, there is no treasure in this world like the treasure of Christ. And all your self-reliance, law-keeping, self-serving zeal does not compare to knowing Christ, being found in Him, being found by Him. It doesn't compare to having a righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. It doesn't compare to relying on Christ for a better righteousness. Because Jesus Christ lived a perfect life on your behalf. He has perfectly kept the law. He has been perfectly righteous. He died the death we deserved for our righteousness. So that we might have the righteousness of God that is by faith. God is satisfied with his perfect obedience and sacrifice. We no longer have to look to our own efforts, our own strivings, our own failures. But we can rest in Christ and receive right standing before God. And church, the free gift that God offers is not only forgiveness, not only a righteous standing before God. This treasure is worth more than anything, is Christ himself. To gain Christ, to know Christ, to be found in Christ. And so for Paul, Christ isn't just someone who gives saving benefits. Christ is the second person of the triune God. And we were all made to have fellowship with Him. It is in our relationship with Him that gives us the greatest joy. Our greatest treasure is not the benefits of salvation. Our greatest treasure is Christ Himself. Christ indeed is our greatest gain. But Paul isn't finished. He wants Christ even more. Now let's come to point three with me. Christ is gain. Come to verse 10 with me. Now we will now look at the last two verses. Verse 10. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And when you look at Paul's final goals, there are some things that are very reasonable. He wants to know the power of the resurrection, to attain to the resurrection of the dead. But this is more strange. Participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, these are not pleasant things. Why would anyone want to suffer and die with Christ? Well, you see, we saw from the previous point that Paul had such a strong desire to know Christ that everything is a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. For Paul, he knows that he has begun to know Christ, but he is far from finished. 
He wants to know Christ in his fullness. And what he has tasted so far, redemption in Christ and Christ giving himself, he has whetted his appetite for the fullness. The full experience is still future. He is eager to more and more know the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings, to be conformed to his death. In verse 10, Paul says, becoming like him in his death. And this actually means being conformed to Christ. Conformed to Christ. And it neatly connects to what we saw in the hymn to Christ in Philippians 2. Jesus was in the form of God. He took on the form of a servant, humbled himself on the cross. And more than that, we have yet to look at this. But chapter 3, verse 21 says, When Christ returns, he will make our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. All of these verses share the same imagery. And what it means is that the fullness of becoming like Christ, the fullness of conforming to Christ, is what drives Paul's current living. That even if he has to go through suffering, even if he has to die for the cause of Christ, all of that is worth it if by any means possible he may attain to the resurrection from the dead. It's all worth it. And at this point, I really want to share a story. It's the story of Wang Yi, a persecuted pastor in China. He was arrested and put in prison about five years ago. He was charged with inciting subversion of state power. And this is a charge commonly handed to Chinese Christians because the government sees religion as a threat. And he wrote a letter to be published should he be put in jail. Now, he called it his declaration of faithful disobedience. Now, I want to read you some quotes from his letter. Here are the words of Pastor Wang Yi. This is the goal of all the efforts of the church in China, to testify to the middle kingdom about the kingdom of heaven, to testify to earthly momentary lives about heavenly eternal life. This is why I'm not interested in changing any political or legal institutions in China. For the entire commission God has given me is to let more Chinese people know through my actions that the hope of humanity and society is only in the redemption of Christ. If through this he continues disciplining and building up his church, then I am joyfully willing to submit to God's plans, for his plans are always benevolent and good. He says much, much more, but we'll pause there. If you want to read his full statement, you can find it on the internet. It's a very inspirational letter. And you know, he is currently still in prison. He's on a similar boat to Paul, isn't he? This man is willing to participate in Christ's sufferings, to become like him in his death, to know the power of his resurrection. And what motivates this man is the treasure of knowing Christ and the future hope of being with Christ forever. And for that, he is willing to lose all things for the sake of Christ. At this point, I really want to speak to all of you for a moment. I personally believe, if you are a true believer, that when you hear Paul's words in these verses, your heart would leap with joy. 
When the Holy Spirit convicts a soul of the beauty and the glory of Christ, that person would know Christ is their greatest gain, and they would gladly lose all things in order to gain Christ. Because the Christian faith is not just a set of truths to be believed in and memorized. It's not just a habit of doing things week in, week out, or some rules to live by. The Christian faith is knowing and loving someone. The Christian faith is being known and being loved by God. The Christian faith is experiential. It is life-giving. Your heart is not cold, but aflame. Your heart is not dead, but alive. But if you reflect on your whole life and you examine your experience of God and you don't recall a time when your heart is warmed, you don't recall a time when you saw Christ as your greatest treasure. You've never beheld the glory and the beauty of Christ and thought, this is the greatest thing in the world. Then today, God invites you to find your greatest treasure in Christ. God invites you to behold the beauty and glory of Christ today. God invites you to look at all the things you have ever considered as gain and say, Christ is greater. Being known and loved by Christ is your greatest security. You don't need to boast in being a hard-working, self-made person anymore because you are secure in Christ. You don't need to obey the law out of selfish gain anymore because Christ has fulfilled the law on your behalf. You don't need to zealously serve for selfish gain and recognition anymore because you now have a new affection. Your zeal is for God's glory and not your own. Being known and loved by Christ means that you are secure. You love to obey Him and you are zealous for His glory. Church, may we all echo with the words of Paul. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Because why? Christ is our greatest gain. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your Son. We have seen his beauty and glory. Everything we have considered gain before, we now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Help us now to live with zeal for your glory, to see you as our greatest treasure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.